0: Welcome to the Global River Church Discipleship Teaching of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit GlobalRiver.org. Here's, here's what I desire would happen in the next eight weeks. That you would come eight Wednesday nights, we're going to dig deep into the first um, the, tonight will be some foundational stuff because if you don't understand foundationally your identity in Christ, um, then you can get all wound up in the power push against the darkness. And that's, that's not it. It's just one of the things we deal with. In the ministry manual, if you will stay, we're going to take attendance. Uh, you know, I'm sorry, this is college course kind of stuff, but we're going to take attendance on the eight weeks. Uh, we will, those who are listening by live stream, we will have this on live stream. If you can't make it on oh, night, it'll be available there. I'd like you to get it and listen to it. Um, at the end of the eight weeks, those that are part of Global River, you'll have gone through the ministry manual. There's a fair amount of reading material. We'll take you through that in a minute. So, discipline yourself over the next eight weeks to, to read the material. Uh, biblically, you'll see why that's foundational. We're going to walk through what is the protocol for someone who ministers To the kingdom people. Um, That goes with what are the boundaries? What are some of the, you know, have clean hygiene, um, don't be a stumbling block, have breath mints, don't push people down, right? There's protocol to not being offensive or overly religious or Um, Being sensitive, depending on what culture you're in. When we go to India or we go to Nepal, you you don't lay hands on someone's head. There's certain sign language gestures that might be okay in the United States, and they're not in other places. In fact, so being sensitive to that is important. So we're going to walk through a model of how do you lead someone to Christ? How how do you become more comfortable with just sharing the gospel message? Um, What about praying for healing? How do you pray for healing? What are the hindrances to healing? What are curses? What are they how do you stop praying for someone if they're not immediately healed? What's a way to... So we're going to walk through the healing model as well. And then we're going to get into the deliverance model the last several weeks for sure in depth. Um, we're going we're gonna to see a video one night from an ex-Satanist who uh, has come out, has been converted, but he tells you how they went after and destroyed Christians. It's not for the lighthearted. There's another one that people have told me I shouldn't show, but and I'm debating probably the, the group that's going to Columbia possibly, but if you've never seen the movie, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, true story about the uh, second-degree murder charge that was brought up against a Catholic priest who was an exorcist, uh, and the woman died. And the, it, when I watched it, it, first of all, it's been my experience, and everything, many things, I mean, be, be just, careful I can't hear, many of what they approached in it is everything we teach them not to do. And so, um, anyway, we, um, we have been in many, many continents and done thousands of deliverances on, on. and if you will follow the protocols that are in the Breaking Free manual, which is in the back of the Breaking Free book, the first part is a bio, the second part is um, Which kind of people ask me, how did a nuclear engineer, left brainer, get into this? It was not on my bucket list. It was never anything I desired to be at. And anyway, it's how we got there. But then um, when we were in Tanzania with Jack Taylor and Leif Hetland uh, doing deliverance in Moshi Town and in various um, villages there, Jack Taylor's wife Frida came and said after she watched eight hours of the most incredible deliverances from Uh, darkness and witchcraft, she said, Jack, Tom has to write a book so that he can hand this off to a pastor or leaders in other states, countries, and be able to do the ministry. And so the backside of this is the destiny model, which is all biblically based. Um, If you will follow the destiny model, by the way, if you're in our congregation, you will follow the destiny model uh, because our insurance company Requires you to be one trained, like we're going to do, and secondly, is the protocol that we use. And if you follow that, you won't get hurt, and the people you're ministering won't get hurt, and better yet, they'll get set free. And so, we do ministry every week from other people come in from all other states. We had a team here today ministering people that come in, pastors, leaders, and individuals come in every Monday, Tuesday. Um, so, My desire is that over the next eight Wednesday nights, you'll just follow along with us, you'll do the reading material, you will become more um, comfortable in the process. I want to do some breakouts at the end, but at the end of the eight weeks, you're down the training side of becoming a ministry team person for our church, our congregation, which you must do anyway if you're gonna go on any mission trips with us, or you're gonna be part of our ministry team that prays here, or in House of Mercy, or on the street, our outreaches. It it doesn't release you to be a ministry team member. The next part of that, if you'll look at um, this handout for a minute, is there are, we're not gonna go through all of it tonight, I'll cursory go over some of it, but there's on page um, where it says ministry agreement, which is on page 13. Um, The ministry agreement sheet is really you ministering with, let's say that you're going to volunteer in the children's ministry or you're going to volunteer in our House of Mercy ministry, worship arts. Um, You will look at this and say, I want to meet with the ministry leader that's over that ministry, and there'll be an interview process of What's your lifestyle like? We don't just put anybody up on stage to be able to minister. If you, that's for your own protection. If you have open doors in ministry and you start to minister, you can set yourself up to get really hurt spiritually. And um, so we want to have you do an interview process, and then all of those that are going to be part of the ministry team will have your own individual prayer ministry, which is a session about four or five hours that's spent with some of our trained team members. And we do those typically on Monday or Tuesday. We work that out. Um, that, the assumption there is that everybody comes through life and you have baggage. I don't care who you are, you got baggage. You have generational baggage that comes in from Exodus 20 verse 5. It says, the sins of the father shall visit to the third and fourth generation. So what was your grandparents doing 300 years ago? Were they involved in Freemasonry? Did they go through the curses that they brought down on their family? If you're, a free, if you're involved in any form of Freemasonry, you might want to read Barbara Casada's book, Unto Death. It'll curl your hair for you. Um, there's some other aspects of prayer ministry that deals with the sin patterns that we've been in, involved in, the unforgiveness. And the assumption there is we all have baggage, and let's get unpacked, so that we're free. We walk through the sanctification process. And so, I often get asked the question: Well, can a can a Christian be oppressed, tormented? Is there any Christians that haven't been some form of oppression? Right now, does that mean you're possessed? No. We'll go through that in in more. If you haven't signed in, please please do that. Um, okay. So. So trying to be clear, the the next 8 Wednesday nights try do your best to get here at 6:30. We'll do a short amount of worship and we're going to get right into the teaching. And so let me go over the what is the the next set of reading materials. If you'll turn to page in your in the white handout. I would ask you to discipline yourself. This is on page it's actually not it's page 7.1, it's after page 7, between page 7 and 8, the required reading for the ministry team members, and you'll see there that over the next eight weeks, that's why I need you to have your own ministry team manual as you read through the ministry team manual. So my suggestion would be if you'll turn, does everyone have a copy of the ministry manual now? What? Okay, right after page 7, it says, before page 8, it says, required reading. Oh, no. You're the second page? Uh, I don't know what happened here. Okay. Look for the one that says, required reading. It's out of order. OK, that's not good. I don't need that kind of headache right now. the <laughs> first page, eight page. all right, whatever. The one that says, "Required reading." Everyone there? <laughs> oh, OK. I rebuke you, Satan, in the name of Jesus. All right. Um You'll notice that the everyone should have a copy of the ministry manual. Um, This is the one that's $15, you know, over the next eight weeks. I'd like you to take, if you turn and open that, you'll notice that one of the first required reading thing is the ministry manual. It's broken down into modules. And so if you open up the first page of the ministry manual, you will see, second page of the ministry manual says, ministry team training manual, table of contents. And it goes to the introduction. So I would like you... To read through the first five modules by next week. That sounds like a lot, but it's not. It's, it's an introduction, it's expectations of protocol, it's some prayer guidelines about lifestyle. You're going to want to know this anyway, you, you most likely do. Um, and then it goes through the salvation model. And this is getting you comfortable scripturally with some scriptures you can use. Now, I realize some of you are skilled in this already. Um, so, you got the old-fashioned one. You don't want the... Okay, so we don't have any more manuals? Didn't I just make 8 million? Yeah, there's over in my office. Would you go get them? I didn't think we were going to have this larger crowd here. <laughs> Mom, you got you got a notebook. You you you're, Okay. Okay. Um, so, read through the salvation model next week, right? And then we'll pick up from there. You'll notice right after that goes into the biblical basis of healing and deliverance, which is module six. Then we go into the healing model, which is module seven. Then we get into words of knowledge, some of the specific skills and gifts that are given by the Holy Spirit. And at the end, we end with uh, deliverance and end prophecy. So now, if you look at your reading list there, you'll see, so during the next eight weeks, you're gonna read through the ministry manual. Take notes right in the margin, get your red pen out, um, to be disciplined. Ask yourself questions with the Holy Spirit as you go down. Set yourself in a place. Um, I happened today, I was in the bank. And, um, you know, it's one of those things, always be ready. <laughs> I'm in the bank and I was making a wire transfer and blah, 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 blah. And uh, this young um, representative in the bank, he says, So what do you do? I said, Well, I'm a pastor. He goes, Really? Um, how, did you, how did that happen? And, I said, well, I was a nuclear engineer. He goes, what? Anyway, half an hour later, he's crying in his office, right, as I'm telling him testimonies of how I got saved and what God did and what we've been seeing in the the mission field. And he's like all teared up and it's like, so put yourself in that place where, okay, Let's say that I'm in the store, or I'm at the fence line at my neighbor's house, and all of a sudden, the door opens. How do, like Doug would say, can we, how do I give, lead them down the Roman's road, right? Um, there's some scriptures, right? Romans 10, nine and 10, if I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, for it is with confession at man. So, those scriptures, like, how would I do it? You don't have to have fancy words but it needs to work for you. And so, um, place yourself in that. It's, it's a lot of reading material, I get it, but put yourself in the reality of that and then practice it, practice it. You practice it on a friend or a spouse. Hey, let me lead you to Christ right now, <laughs> all right? Okay, and so the other one is if you've never read Breaking Free, man, you guys really cleaned us out here, that's awesome. I didn't never expect it. Um, If you've not read Breaking Free over the next eight weeks, would you please do that? You're certainly going to want, I I guarantee it'll make more sense, especially when we get to the part of um, beware of the strongholds, dealing with the curses, and then into the deliverance part of that. Okay? And then the rest of it is Bible study, mostly. If you'll look at week one, so add on top of your five... Read the five chapters, uh, the six chapters of the book of Ephesians. But read it like maybe a, one chapter a day or half a chapter a day uh, and get to a place where um, you'll notice in the book of Ephesians and Philippians, Colossians, we get through a good portion of what I consider these really power books. Um, okay. Is everybody tracking with me? You're like, good? Mom's, Mom, I'll help you. Okay, I'll, I'll I'll help. I know where you live. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, let me let me ask a question here, um, and let me. Bill, would you be my runner? Okay. If anybody needs more of the manuals, we got them up here. Yes. No, he's, we got it, thank you, all right. Um, Let me ask this question, what is the job description of you as a Christian? Let me hear it. Be the image of Christ, okay, a reflector, I like that, ambassadors. Make disciples of all men. Okay, to walk in sonship we, in our identity as Christ. That, that's a re, that, if you're a son or a daughter, you know who you are in the family line. Jim? Believe. Believe. Okay. Believe in Christ. All right. Show your faith. Show your faith. Okay. Love. Love. Okay. What are the two greatest commandments that every, all the law hangs on? Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Paul tells us in Galatians, I guess they got it, Bill. <laughs> um, Galatians tells us you can't do that unless you're walking in the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5 says, walk in the Spirit, you'll produce these fine new things. So the, one of our, uh, our theme, our vision here at Global Rivers, love God, if you, T-shirts out there, love God, love people, and walk in the Spirit right? And so, um, Jesus' job description was what? John 10.10, 10. I've come to give life in all of its fullness, right? In all of its abundance, it says. What's the devil's job description? To come to kill, steal, and destroy. So if you take three job descriptions, you're to love God, love people, and walk in the Spirit, your job description. Do that by love, reflecting, believing. You can't do any of that without being those things. Those are the outcomes of ones who love God and love people and walk in the Spirit. You will be a reflector, you will be a son, you'll have the right identity, and you will believe, right? So those, the job description of you as a Christian, but Jesus' job description said, I've come to give life in all of its fullness. And then the devil said, he can't, the, Jesus said, the devil's come, the thief has come to kill, steal, and destroy. So if you boil this down to where we are, this is a story, this amazing story is a story of love and war. It's simple for me. You know, as I was trained on nuclear submarines and attacked se- to, to go to war, fight a nuclear war and win. Now that's just crazy, but anyway, that's... so. When you think about it, we have been, we're being trained to resist the devil. 1 John 3.8, Jesus is, is, said, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 3.8, right? Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. John 14, he says this, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Then in verse 12, John 14.12, he says, now, greater work shall you do, because I go to the Father. Okay? You want to get even more specific on a job description? Make sure If you didn't bring a, a Bible, you need to bring your Bible every week and write in it all over it, right? Wherever, and start, as you start to read Ephesians and Galatians and Philippians, you need to write, I, I'm sorry, I'm old-fashioned. Get a piece of paper Bible, right? Um, and write in it, okay? Because it's, you, I'm telling you it's amazing. Maybe you're better with the phone stuff than I am, but when I know, it's in Philippians chapter 2, it's on the right side of the margin, right? I wrote myself notes there. I have Greek, I have, right? So, I have a King James Version on the left, and I have a New Living Translation on the right, and it's, so I have the word-for-word the, the word translation from King James 1600s, and I have the New Living Translation thought for thought, and I like to bounce between both. So, let's turn specifically that if you are a believer in this house tonight, then one of your jobs descriptions in the Great Commission is in Mark 16. So turn with me in Mark 16. And this is the scripture that uh, busted me when I was one year after I had resigned from General Electric after 25 years and became an associate pastor. I I was reading through the scriptures, and I came to this Mark 16 verse, And I realized there was a gap in what was happening in my experience. Mark chapter 16, this is the Great Commission, not the Great Suggestion, right? Mark 16 verse 15, it says, then he, I'm reading in the New Living Translation, verse 15, He then said to them, go into all the world, preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. Anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. This is what wrecked me. As a believer, I'm now resigned from corporate world. I'm being a pastor, and I, the first one on these is cast out demons. I didn't want to bother the devil because I didn't want to even bother him at all because I didn't want him to bother me. (laughs) And so... Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. Anyone who refuses will be condemned. These miraculous signs accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. Oops, check, missed. They will speak with new languages. Hmm, sometimes. They will be able to handle snakes with safety and drink anything poisonous and it won't hurt them. Now, we don't pull out the snakes on Sunday night. We don't tempt the Lord thy God and all that. We had somebody call up one time and says, do you do that snake thing there? They said, no, only on Sunday nights. You'll be all right on Sunday morning. And so, so, Jesus went on and said, don't tempt the Lord thy God when he was tempted by Satan and the devil, right, in Luke's gospel, chapter 4. And so, but it does, when our missionaries get fed poison food, we heard a testimony today when... The witches and warlocks in Argentina would bring food poisoned to try to kill one of our leaders, mother and father, who were pastors in Argentina. I've been there in Resistencia. It didn't happen. Kent and Mozambique, poisonous food. It won't happen. When the snake comes through the crowd, the black mamba who's been imparted by demons to kill Heidi Baker and she jumps off the, the, the flatbed truck with a two-by-four and whacks the black mama's head off. That's that scripture, okay? Well, let's keep on. It says this. It says, they'll cast out demons and speak with new languages be able to handle snakes with safety and harm, drink no poisonous things that won't hurt them. They will, be able, they will be able to place their hands on the sick, and they will be healed. And then the last verse of that chapter before he closes and the disciples went everywhere and preached, and the Lord worked with them, co-labored with them, confirming what they said by miraculous signs. So I read that scripture, I said, okay, I'm not casting out demons, I'm not seeing a whole lot of people healed. I... So then I went on a mission trip, and that's, you'll hear some of the rest of that story. So I want us to see that your responsibility is to be part of the love story and the war story. That's your responsibility. Your job description as a believer is to have signs following. Your wake needs to have something behind it because on that day that you stand before him to give an account, this will be in, Ma- in Ma- Mark, uh, Matthew 25, you've been given certain talents. One had one, one had three, one had five, doesn't matter how many, but you will give an account on that day. All right? So this idea of sitting back and letting, well, God tell me what He needs me to know, that's not the way this is. Okay. Um, Foundationally, let's go back to your white handout. I'm going to really run through this fast. This is, I, I appreciate you reading it because if you don't understand the foundations, when we get to the part of doing deliverances or exorcisms, you will not understand your true identity. And so, I, the first part of it is, is our statement of faith. What do you believe? What is your belief? You see that where it says, foundations, what we believe? And so, let's just take one. The first, We believe there's one living God, eternally existent, three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then it goes through, if, if you've been... In Christendom for any length of time, you will understand that these are the foundations. But it also talks about judgment. It talks about heaven. It talks about what will come at the end. The Apostles' Creed, turn to the next page. I have there the Lord's Prayer and the Apostles' Creed. We don't cover this a whole lot uh, in many places anymore, but the Apostles' Creed is is a summary of the belief statements universally. When they say the universal church, they're not talking about the Unitarian church. They're talking about the church of Jesus Christ worldwide, all the different denominations, the body parts that Paul talks about in uh, 1 Corinthians 12. The, the body of Christ is made up of many parts. One's an eye, one's a leg, one's this, right? And so, if you're an eye, be an eye. If your hand, be a hand, right? Don't try to be something you're not, but it that's the, the universal church one, and he's coming back for a spotless bride, right? Revelation 19, he's going to come back. All right, the next pages seven are breakdowns of that specific um, belief system, right? Eternally existing, the virgin birth, the Holy Spirit is sent, and how you're empowered. Okay, then, then look at the page. It says, Global River Church core values of a spirit-led life. I've tried to summarize, if we were really walking in the Holy Spirit as believers, then these ought to be some of the values that are experienced by those that know us. Let's just take the top one. God wants to speak to us more than we want to listen. After all, how can a person named the Word of God not want to speak, right? The core value here creates an expectation that we need to hear Him at any moment, when he says, "Do this," we do this, right? And so um, let's turn down to the second from the bottom. It says, "We're a special, holy and royal people. This core value trains us to value ourselves and others as precious possessions of God, for whom He has sacrificed his son. It's a culture of honor, right? So it's a, it's a culture of honor that um, you're a chosen race, 1 Peter 2, you're a royal priesthood, right? So these are core values. I'd, I'd, I'd appreciate if you'd read through them and then ask yourself, how do I match up to these core values? Okay? Um, let's see, let's turn to the next page the bottom of that page nine there, it says we have inherited the divine nature to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. It's basically embrace your journey. What are you doing? Where, where are we in this journey? And so we're partakers of that divine nature. And it also has that scripture in Galatians 5 I spoke of. Okay, turn to next page 10. I, I really would like you to read through those and just kind of, yep, this is what I believe. When you read the belief statement, and then you reflect on where you're walking, you'll, you'll see some things that you can pray into. Now, what are the ministry teams? Let's say that you're now a minister. You're, you're out in either street angels, right, walking down the street. Uh, you're at House of Mercy tomorrow, and we have people that come in and says, I'm dying of cancer or I'm struggling with heroin addiction, and I want to kill myself. Okay, so our ministry team that's up front, they will, you'll, you'll come and say, what are the core values of those? that are going to minister tomorrow or out on the street. Well, what are we there? We're here to serve, not here to judge, not here to give them a sermon. (laughs) One is to love them through this journey, right? Um, Yes, they're going to get food tomorrow, but many of them come and I can't tell you how many salvations, how many broken hearts. Are you willing to be inconvenienced? Can you drive somebody can you drive the van for how many hours, Tony, to go pick up people that can? Um, can you clean the church? Can you, are you willing? Are you willing to be inconvenienced? What's your attitude towards that? Should I be served or can I serve? And so these are ministry values, and, and the, the, the message is not always as important as the heart attitude. <laughs> Remember, they'll know you by your love, right? So don't tell me that you love me. Why don't you show me that you love me? And so um, character is a real important one. Here we'll find out that um, character is as important as anointing. I've been with ministers all over the world, and there'll be character flaws, and God will use them in a powerful way. But if they continue to walk in false character, lies, cheat, hypocrisy, they'll go down. They will come down. And so, character is as important as that. Honesty, morality, loyalty. And advancing the kingdom does take risk. In fact, you've heard that statement, faith is spelled R-I-S-K, right? Okay. Um, But at the end of this, who gets the glory? If we can keep that part of our value that I don't have to self-promote, I don't have to sit on the front row, I, I mean... I can just let God get the glory. He doesn't miss anything. Amen? Okay. Um, so, read, you can read through those, those things and then the last one is page 12 there which is guidelines for actual missions team and uh, going out and about and um, again, it, let me give you an example. Not everybody uh, believes in speaking in tongues. If you've ever come out of a, what I'll call a um, traditional church, um, they may get offended. Some people think that's demonic, right? And so, if you're on the ministry team and you have someone that comes up, every, every week we get new visitors, right? And they come up and they want prayer. You, on our altar calls, how many people respond in our altar calls? We have no idea, the Holy Spirit knows. And so, be sensitive, um, you don't have to, you know, Start speaking in tongues if you're not sure. You could ask them, do you mind if I, I, I want to ask the Holy Spirit what to do right now? And they, But be sensitive. So um, as, as servants, when we're serving overseas, one of the things I really love about our mission teams that go out, I've had people regularly, these are senior leaders who've had many teams go out with them over the years, and Global River is always the one that will put the trash out, stay the last moment, help and pick up, what can we do? They don't complain. To me, that's Jesus with a towel, right? Okay. So, th- those are foundational. I know I've covered, you know, Christendom and <laughs> Christianity 101 in a 20 minutes, but let me ask that you would please read through that and just self-reflect with the Holy Spirit, right? Um, where am I in this? All right. Let's... The last page, page 20, is the mission and focus Um, As an organization, as a ministry, I believe that any um, Christian organization, basically anyone that is trying to advance the kingdom, these five principles should be operating all at once. You see where it says our focus and mission? So it's love God, love people, walk in the Spirit. That means that on a Sunday morning or tomorrow at House of Mercy, um, we'll start out with worship tomorrow so we're a temple first and foremost we worship him right so we'll worship but then there's a fellowshipping you'll notice they walk into House of Mercy and every one of them get hugs in fact I love what the uh, North Carolina uh, pantry food pantry says is oh that's the hugging church right you're gonna go in there you're gonna get hugged right and uh, so we line up and they all come in and we don't care what they smell like what they look doesn't matter right, and so it's, it's that gathering, there's a fellowshipping, right, then equipping as a schoolhouse, the church ministry, we need to be equipping people, that's one of the, you'll turn to your front page here, Paul told us what's the responsibility for the fivefold ministry, which is what we're doing tonight, equip the saints for the work of ministry, not to do all the ministry, right, okay, and then um, it should be a hospital, When people come in, I'm going to share one later that I pray no one gets afraid, okay, of what Lester Summerall did when he started, all right? And, uh, but we are a hospital. If someone is tormented, if Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, and you're supposed to do likewise, in fact, greater works are you supposed to do, right? And the first thing that's signed a believer that should is cast out demons. So why are we afraid to cast out demons? Why wouldn't we pray for the sick, those who are suicidal, those who are tormented? The church needs to be a hospital. We're preparing for the coronavirus stuff. We're praying Psalm 91 protection. It's not coming. But if it does, we're buying the stuff. If people can't get out to the grocery stores and they need food, we need to deliver. If we need to go disinfect, okay, let's make preparation. A wise man makes preparation. Okay, and then finally, we're an army. And so... Our desire is to be known in heaven and feared in hell. That's the reality. Okay. Let me um, ask that you would start out in part of the premise of this. Turn with me to Acts chapter 19. I want to cover... Actually, let me me start... There's two scriptures I want to cover. Let's go to Mark's gospel chapter 9, which you've heard me share before. In Mark 9, it's an amazing um, statement of the transfiguration, but then it's what follows. So, in Mark 9, Jesus takes the three inner circle guys, Peter, James, and John. He goes up onto the mountain. There's a discussion with Moses and Elijah. So, they're not dead, okay? Hello? And so, there's this, not that we call upon the dead, but when they show up with the Father, (laughs) and there's this glory... And the father speaks, this is my son, right? So, there's an identity, there's a revelation of both the prophet and the law, uh, the prophet and the law, and then they come off the mountain, Jesus tells them, don't say anything about this now, but you'll read about it in the book of 1 John, about that, you also read it in the book of Corinthians where Paul, and uh, he, he shares it, but Peter shares it, right, when I was on the mount, eyewitness account. So after the resurrection, He did. But here's the point. They come off the mountain. Now the other nine disciples who were in the same impartation meeting that happened with all 12 of them, the chapter before, I give you power now over the darkness. Go and preach the gospel. Heal the sick, right? He tells them, go now. Go do that. Next chapter, they're up on the mount. The nine guys are down at the valley. When they come down the mountain, here's what we pick up on, verse 14. When they returned to the other disciples, they saw a huge crowd surrounding them, and some of the teachers of the religious law were arguing with them. When the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe, and they ran and greeted him. With all this arguing going around, Jesus said, one of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He's possessed by an evil spirit, and it won't let him talk and whenever the spirit seizes him it throws him violently to the ground, he foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit but they couldn't do it. Jesus said to them you faithless people, how long must I be with you and how long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me So they brought the boy, and when the evil spirit saw Jesus, threw the child into a violent convulsion, fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the father. He replied, since he was a little boy. You notice Jesus didn't jump down there in the dirt and start, he just kind of like interviews the dad. How long has this antics been going on here? What do you mean? He says, Since he was little, the the Spirit, verse 22, the Spirit often throws him into the fire or the water trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean if I can? Jesus asked. Anything's possible if a person believes. Father instantly cried out, well, I, I do believe, but can you help me overcome my unbelief? When Jesus saw the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit, Listen, spirit, that makes this boy unable to hear and speak. I command you, come out of this child and never enter him again. The spirit screamed through the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. Take a note. A murmur ran through the crowd as people said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, helped him to his feet, and he stood up. Afterwards, when Jesus was alone in the house, the disciples, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? Jesus replied, this kind, this could be more than one, certainly appears to be, can be cast out only by prayer. Now, some of the translations, you'll go and look, it says both prayer and fasting, right? And so, what's the point? It appears that the nine disciples did not have a sufficient faith to be able to, they either didn't believe what they had had imparted to them, they had some issues with their own personal identity of authority, if you think you can do this ministry in your flesh, you are totally mistaken and you will get hurt, okay? But we've been up against warlocks who have come in blood sacrifices, five of them to kill us And all the threats and all, and guess what? They are powerless. I've had them stand up to me to try to punch me and hit like a field. Boom, they can't touch me. We've had demons cry out and say, they're too close to Jesus. We can't can't touch them. I've had another one say, we don't like to. You'll hear this when we hear the testimony of the Satanist. We don't like to mess with spirit-filled Christians because it comes back on us. We like to go after the, um, what I'll call the, immature, carnal Christians. Now we got them. Okay? So I want you to see that faith matters, right? And so prayer and fasting. Now obviously there's two things here in the principles. There's different kinds of darkness. They obviously ran up against probably a high level or multiple levels of darkness. And so just keep that in the back of your mind. Now let's turn to Acts chapter 19. If you try to do this ministry... Outside the power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, you're in danger. In Acts 19, in verse 13, says there were a group of Jews traveling through the town, from town to town, casting out evil spirits. So there's been exorcists, you know, many different um, faiths have exorcists, right? Even other faiths, I'll just put it there, Okay. They tried to they tried to use the name the Lord Jesus in their incantation, incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. Seven sons of Skever, a leading priest, were doing this. But one time when they tried this, so obviously they had they were successful. And you can come at a ground level warfare of a low-level demonic presence, and you'll have authority over that. But there are certain levels of darkness that have been entrenched due either due to generational sin, the practices, if a child has been brought into Macumbo, San La Muerte, the cult of death, if that child's been blood sacrificed in voodoo, there's a possession and an oppression that is authorized by the authority over that child that has actually given them over. When you start ministering that, you, you better understand your authority, right? And this is, in this case... They, they probably were having some success and they said, Well, we, we're, we're doing this, in the, the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, and, and what happened? The Spirit says to them, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? So I'm in no way making fun of any other faith. What I'm saying is, it is only the name and God's honest truth. The only way that you have authority is in the name of the name that is above every name. Cancer has a name, violence has a name, murder has a name, witchcraft has a name, and their specifics. But it is the name of Jesus whom I represent. Once we understand how big he is, the full authority, right? You're gonna read it in Colossians, in Ephesians, you're gonna get it by the end of this, you Jesus is the one, right? Once you understand that and who you are in him as the gloves on his hand, the mouthpiece, that represents Him. Once we understand that and settle it, it's not a pretty story. They get really beat up and they're, they're stripped naked. Um, so the point of this is recognize this authority because this will happen. You'll, you'll read this, I think, if you read some of the manuals and we'll read this later. If the first time you see a full-blown deliverance and someone who was so tormented that absolutely gets free and the fruit of that life later. It does, it does something that, the reality of that does something to you. There are three, if you like the term, forces um, in the universe. Let me just start that. My, my theology is real simple. God is good and the devil's bad. Simple. Simple man, simple process, right? God is always good and the devil's got just with the job descriptions. You, you read them, right? Okay, heard them. And so, then there's human power. The humanists, at men's group this week, we, looked, we listened to a movie about evolution and humanism and how um, that humanistic approach in evolution, which is maybe correct with inside species, but it is not the origin of man. <laughs> right or the origin of the universe it's just nuts that anyway I'll get off track on that but humanism there's a human power but it can come under influence of both the the universal darkness the world the god of this world first corinthians who is the god of this world right satan the little g he has influenced the minds of those who can't believe and they can't see but when the veil's been removed right they see so Or we can come under the influence of obviously the Sovereign Most High God. Okay, so foundationally I wanted to lay for you what is the job description, where we're going over the next eight weeks. I realize there's a lot of reading so you probably either have to set aside a disciplined time every morning or night to be able to read through both scripturally and the manuals. And if you'll do that, you'll follow through that, I guarantee you by the end of this thing you'll have a greater, greater appreciation one of your own identity and how big God is. And then we're going to seed it with with actual testimonies. So I wanted to finish the night. Um, How many have ever heard of Lester Summerall? Wow, praise God. Okay. He died in 96 or 99, I forget. Um, But he had an amazing international ministry and... um, There was. I've documented um, in my book several ministry deliverances that we've seen, and you should read those. And just um, all I can tell you is, there's people in this room that were with me on those trips, <laughs> and I did it with Bill Johnson and Randy Clark, and and uh, so once you realize there is a darkness, I don't know about you. When I was a nuclear engineer, um, maybe atheist is too strong, but certainly an agnostic. If God exists, that's great. I pray, you know, please bless me, bless me, but that was about as far as I went. And then if you read my book, you'll get the testimony of how I came in contact with the living God. And, but it's when I went on my first mission trip and I prayed after reading that Mark 16, I'm one year, I resigned as an executive from GE. I'm one year as a pastor in this church and I read Mark 16, and none of that is in my wake. It's not following me. And I said, that's not good. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't resign to not do that, right? And so, God, what do I do? I started praying. God, how, how is that ever going to happen? I don't, even, I don't even know anybody who's doing it. <laughs> so I started to read some books. I read Pigs in the Parlor, and that freaked me out. And, and then, then Randy Clark came to the church, and he said, I think I'm supposed to go on a mission trip. I've been invited to go to Brazil. Now, I would traveled with General Electric all over the world. And, and so I said, oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. So I went to the board and I said, I would like to take some people from the church to go with me. So Pat's husband, Phil, who's in heaven, looking down now, a part of the great cloud of witnesses, he went with me. Katie went with me, my wife. And uh, let's see. Uh, no, no, it wasn't the first trip. Um, you were on the second trip, I think. Terry, no, Terry wasn't on the first trip. He went on the second trip too. Anyway, there, were eight, there was, uh, there was eight, um, 11 of us on that trip. And my prayer request was, God, I want to be able to see your power. I, I, I need to see your power so that I can do that. <laughs> That's in Mark 16. And now I realize, be careful what you ask for, right? Yeah. You ever heard the statement, the Holy Spirit's a gentleman? You've heard that. I'm not. I just tell you my experience with that is he, he can be. Um, um, so, Lord, show me your power. I want to go to Brazil. I'm one of the two past one of the three pastors on this trip, and all of my eight from the church they're as green as I am, and I got my wife and my daughter. It's like yipes, and so, the first night we're in Sao Paulo, and. The, the testimony of this one is, Lord, I, I want to be able to see your power, so Randy says, Let me get my ministry team together, so he gets the eleven of us together that's going to go to Agua Viva, this well uh, water of life church. let me pray for you, I want to impart to you like like um, Moses did on the seventy right impartation, and then we'll go out and we 'll do the ministry. so we're up in the seventeenth floor of this hotel in San Paulo, and one of my Team members went out shopping, and he's not there for the impartation. And I'm like, man, 10% of them never get the word. Why is that, God? <laughs> and so, <sighs> frustrated leadership. Anyway, so, so Randy, Randy Clark lays hands on us, and I, I feel the presence of God, and I kind of fall out and resting in the spirit, and we all get nice and calm and get up and, okay, in walks Tony. Tony. Randy, we can't leave yet. Tony's got to have what you're doing there, right? He's going with us. So, we put Tony down in a chair. We all come around him, and Randy starts laying hands on him. And all of a sudden, I feel, I don't know how to describe it, nothing I've ever felt before, but it was like an electric... You know, have you ever see those things where you get Zoom things under their feet where those rockets, right? All of a sudden, it's like, I'm up, and I land on a table. And I roll off the table and I do a face plant. And I had titanium glasses that were guaranteed not to break. I do a face plant. My lenses fall out and the thing, br- the glasses break. At which point, I'm not really coherent of everything that's going on. I start spinning. I hit the chair that Tony is, and he's probably a 150-pound guy. And I bend the uh, the metal chair leg of the thing. That's I hit it with my leg, and I'm spinning in a circle. I don't even know. And all I know is I've got rug burns here, rug burns there, I got rug burns, and the nurse, uh, her name was uh, Marie Wilson, she's with us, and she goes, I believe the pastor's having a grand mal seizure. <laughs> and Randy says, no, no, it's not that, it's something else, it's the Holy Spirit, and you goes, okay. And so, I, I don't have another pair of glasses, this is before my LASIK surgery, so I have uh, no glasses, I can't see, I'm hurting and I don't have any power, and now I'm half blind, <laughs> right? And so they, they help me down. I'm kind of feeling like out of it. They help me down. They put me in my bed. Phil carried me down with some of the guys. Put me in the hotel bed, and I wake up, and I'm sore. I'm thinking, man, i got to find somewhere to buy a pair of glasses tomorrow because I don't know what I can do. And so we go to the meeting, and when we get there, the church it's a church that would seat 300 there's got to be 400 people or more inside the church you can't even get in the windows are all open there's people standing out as far as you can hear in the windows and the brazilian worship of uh, is going on when i walk in i just instantly overcome with the spirit that's there of worship and i'm like oh my gosh i'm in an atmosphere that I don't know that I've ever been in an American church that ever, I ever felt that presence before. And so, so I get there, we get up on the stage, all 11 of us are on the stage, and they're worshiping, and the Brazilians are crying and worshiping with abandonment. They're very expressive anyway. And all of a sudden, I start to feel that same thing coming on me. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I look behind me, there's a drum set back there, and I'm thinking, oh, this would not be pretty. Lord, Lord, and all of a sudden I get a word of knowledge that I had read about. I had never, it's in Corinthians, right? Wisdom, knowledge, and discernment, 1 Corinthians 12. And I instantly get a strong impression that we should pray for the terminally ill, like right now. So I turned to Pastor Randy. I said, Randy, we're supposed to pray for this terminally ill, the really sick people. He stops the worship, he stops the service, and he says... Pastor has a word. Any of you who are terminally ill or really sick, come and get up right now. Go to the back room with his team. He's going to pray for you. I'm going, Randy, you, you can't. You got to go with us. We, we don't know anything, right? He goes, no, no, I'll be all right. I got to preach. You go do like. All of a sudden, like 30 people, really, really, really sick. Does the healthcare system there, no. And so... We're in the back, and my team is pretty overwhelmed. There's like 11 of us back there. Uh, Tom Rotolo was another one. He was a pastor. Um, we had a 16-year-old guy named Jamie Galloway. He was with us, and we're praying. And my, I, I'm praying for a woman who just buried her husband from AIDS, thought her children, he, she was mad at God. She was mad at, mad at her husband who had just died. She thought she had it and contracted it. And so I'm praying for her, asking for inner healing. And in walks this woman... I say walk, she's got a walker and she's crippled like this and her leg is turned out this way. And she comes in and she has a translator with my wife, sits down with my wife. They help her with the walker and they sit her down and I'm kind of monitoring what's going on and half an hour after I finished praying for the lady who was worried about her children with AIDS, my wife says, come on over here. Makumba, witchcraft. Like, oh great. So we interview her name, her name was Priscilla. We interview her through the translator and find out when she was one years old, her father made fun of the next door neighbor's child who was crippled. That neighbor went to a Makumba witch and paid the witch to curse Priscilla's family for the indiscretion he had. At one years old, Priscilla became crippled, spirit of infirmity empowered by witchcraft. She'd had I, six or nine surgeries, I can't remember what she said she had, but her back was deformed, Her obviously her hips were deformed, and um, so I'm interviewing her, and the, the ministry manual that we had at that time I think it was three pages long about salvation and healing, it was like this much in deliverance. <laughs> and so none of us were very experienced in anything, and so at that point, um, I interviewed, I said, when did this happen? She tells me what happened. And I said, okay, will you be willing to forgive the witch, forgive your father, um, forgive all the people in your, in your school that made fun of you growing up? All the things, rejection, fear, disappointment, embarrassment, humiliation, I'm thinking all the things that I had read in The Pigs in the Poller. There's spiritual entities that are behind it. If you struggle with rejection, it could be a spirit of rejection. Find out where it came from. Does it follow through your family line? These are all parts of the things we'll teach and, and understand. And so she does all that. When I confirmed, are you a believer in Christ? Yes, I am. Are you willing to forgive? Yes, I am. We went through it discipline by discipline. Um, Are you willing to forgive the anger, resentment, bitterness that's down in your soul against them? Because it says in Matthew, if you'll forgive, you'll be forgiven. If you refuse to forgive, you will not be forgiven. Hello? And so it's not a matter of what you feel like. It's a matter of what you will to do. And so she does all that, and I said, okay, um, in the name of Jesus... I now speak to the spirit of witchcraft, Mokumba, you're going to come out of this girl. And all of a sudden it's, rah, rah. the whole team in the room goes. And I'm trying to look cool, but I'm not cool. And they bring a trash can over, and in the next, I don't know, time went wild. I'm casting out every spirit I can think of, spirit of rejection in Jesus' name. And if you've ever saw that crazy movie I'm not recommending it The Exorcist it's that and so there's all this demonstrative stuff going on we finish that I don't know of any other I'm going through the registry of spirits in my head in P- 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 and, I, and I, she looks up at me and she turns to my wife through the translator and she says I want to walk and my wife said she wants to walk I said okay and so we became her walker. I got one arm, my wife got one arm. And as she started to make the movements, you heard the bones crack and her her bones and her back straightened and her hips and everything and her foot aligned. And she's standing there no longer crippled. Just then as that happens, her husband with their one-year-old child walks in the room. I didn't even know she had a child. She was frightened that her child was going to have this generational curse placed upon them. Just then the husband sees his wife standing there. He breaks out in tears and crying. And about that moment, Phil's husband, uh, Pat's husband, Phil, he's there. And and all of a sudden, the the faith level in the room, because they saw all the drama. And they were nervous like me. What is all this drama? We don't usually see a lot of this in our Western churches And so, but all of a sudden, the faith level in the room just went out the roof. As she's standing there, and Phil, I love Phil's power. He was a faith man. A woman who was in the corner who came, and I'm not exaggerating. She had a goiter on the side of her neck the size of a softball. Phil went over. He says, in the name of Jesus, go. And it fell right off. Gone. Disappeared. And by that time, everyone was in a place of Jesus is in the house. He's in the house. Blind eyes opened that night. Uh, It it was just wild, wild. The next morning, I found a person who sells glasses. I got treated for my, my, I got glasses so I could see. My rug burns were a little better. We then went from church to church. That church in Agua Viva, the last time I heard, had grown to over 10,000 members. In this really poor, broken place, the signs validated the message was true. But for me, I came back with, okay, God, you are powerful. You are powerful, and the name that is above every name, crippling disease and witchcraft must bow to the name of Jesus. All right, let me read you this story. This is a little um, graphic, but I believe it, first of all, you can check these out if you would like. You can go to the newspaper in Manila, Philippines, and you can pull these dates down if you like. But this is documented by the press in the Philippines. Let me just, let me read it to you. All right. This is Lester Summerall. The title is Bitten by Demons. What an interesting title. May 12th, 1953, The Daily Mirror in Manila carried a highly unusual story under the headline, Police Medic Explodes Biting Demon's Yarn. A city jailmate puzzled police and medical examiners with her tale about two devils that were biting her. Sergeant Guillermo detailed the city jail last night. This is a quote from the newspaper. Said the girl claimed that she was bitten 20 times and and shouted every time she was hurt. In the jail last night, she talked and answered questions weakly but sensibly before a crowd of observers. Suddenly, her facial expressions would change to anguish and horror as if she were confronted with the thing. Some of you are not old enough to know. That was a scary movie back in the day, right? She would look around wildly and then scream and struggle and hit her arms and shoulders. Then her strenuous resistance would cease. She would collapse into the arms of those holding her Weak and half-conscious. After regaining her senses, she said that one of the devils was big and dark with curly hair on his head, chest and arms. He had large, sharp eyes and two fangs. His voice was deep, echoing sound. He was shrouded in black. She was bitten for the last time on the right knee. That was the first bite on the lower part of her anatomy. Another bite mark appeared on her neck You can't bite yourself on your neck. Okay, hello. And her arms and shoulders, observers insist that they were in sight of seeing this all the time. The following day, the Manila Chronicle reported further news of the young woman, Clarita Velanova. At least 25 competent persons, including Manila's chief of police, Colonel Cesar Lucero says it was a very realistic example of a horrified woman being bitten to insanity by invisible persons, quote unquote. She displayed several bite marks all over her body inflicted by nobody as far as the 25 eyewitnesses could see. Villanueva Villanueva writhed in pain, shouted and screamed in anguish whenever the invisible demons attacked her. Prior Benito Vargas, the Roman Catholic who witnessed Villanova in her fits, said it is, was not to his to conclude or any verdict. But he said the fact remains I saw her bitten three times. Villanova was perfectly normal between the fits. After talking for a while, she would shout and convulse in hysterics, all the time screaming, her eyes flashing with fire. Then she would point to the part of her body being attacked, then fall almost senseless into the hands of of the investigators. Teeth marks wet with saliva marked the spots that she pointed at. At that time, I was, found, I was founding a church in Manila. This is Lester. The newspaper accounts had caught my attention, but 45-minute radio program over DZFM drew me personally. The radio announcer dramatically opened the broadcast. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. If you have a weak heart, please turn off the radio. I turned the volume to the radio higher. Instantly, I heard piercing screams followed by pandemonium. Doctors spoke from the confusion. This can all be explained. Our records show that this phenomenon is known as epilepsy. Others were excitedly saying, look, the marks on her teeth appear. These teeth marks appear. Another said, the girl is being choked by some unseen thing. She's blue in the face, and there's marks on her neck. Then Clarita would scream again. Listening to this in the comfort of my bedroom, I turned to my wife and said, this girl's not sick, and the doctors are helpless to help her against such an enemy. Her cry is the cry of the damned and doomed. This girl is demon-possessed." was impossible for me to sleep after listening to that program. I walked the floor crying out to God, believing the poor girl in that city jail needed help. But the longer I prayed, the heavier the load became on my own soul. I said, oh God, the devil is in that girl. You can cast her out. Please do it. After praying until morning, God spoke to my heart. If you'll go to the jail and pray for her, I'll deliver her. (coughs) But I didn't want to go. I found myself answering, no, God, I can never go to that place. Scientists, professors, legal experts, spiritists, they've all tried to help the girl. And all they have is adverse publicity and the newspapers. I can't go with that. Fear of man. The Lord replied, if you'll go and pray for her, I'll deliver her. No, was my reply. But I found I could no longer pray for her. When I cited her deliverance, my conscience stopped me, saying, you're not sincere. You refuse to go and see her yourself. Finally, I decided to go to Bilibid prison and pray for the girl. In, several of the, in a city of several million, with a mammoth prison such as Bilibid, it was not easy to get an interview with such a highly publicized person. On my way to the town the following morning, I stopped at the home of an architect who had designed our church, uh, Cornell, a personnel friend of the Manila mayor. At my request, we visited the mayor, and I gained permission to pray for this girl, but on one condition. Dr. Lara, the chief medical advisor of the police department, must also grant the permission. Mr. Cornell did not know Lara, but said he would try and arrange the interview. I arrived at the prison, and I walked into the morgue, and I saw Dr. Lara. The surrounding was eerie. A corpse laid over here, and there were body parts, and it was just eerie. Sitting on a bench in the drab place, Dr. Lara told us about himself. He was a professor, the head of pathology, legal medicine in Manila, Central University professional lecturer, legal medicine, the University of Santon Tamas. In this 38 years of medical practice, he had performed more than 8,000 autopsies and had never accepted the theory of a non-material force existing in the universe. About ready to see something. Dr. Lara had not intended to be drawn into the, the, the Villanueva affair. On May 12th, upon entering the office of his medical assistant, his first assistant, a young woman prisoner, noticing the reddish human like bite impressions on her arms, both physicians believed Cla- or Clarita had bitten herself. Considering her abnormal, they agreed to recommend her for treatment at the National Psychotic Hospital. The following day, however, At the insistence of visitors who wanted to know Dr. Lara's medical opinion, he had her brought to the medical examiner's office in the police department. A class of interns were present, also the doctor, and Clarita was unconscious when they carried her in. Here's the quote from the newspaper, and her arms were lifted up and they would fall to her side without resistance. Pointed to needles and pins which we touched her skin with, no response. After several minutes in this condition, Clarita began to come out of the state uh, and, and trance. Meanwhile, I was like Sherlock Holmes as a detective, he said. Equipped with my magnifying glass and unbelieving mind about this biting phenomenon, I scrutinized carefully the exposed parts of her body, arms, hands, neck. And whether they had been biting impressions or not, she was still weak in her entire body and she couldn't stand up. One of my assistants a cadaver technician well wow, that's great alfonso by name helped me carry her to the bed and in that state of partial trance <coughs> excuse me alfonso got hold of her body deposited her on the prepared bed placing both hands over her and holding her arms backwards at that very moment the girl came out of the semi trance loudly screamed repeatedly agra agra screaming in pain in her native language I saw with my unbelieving eyes clear marks or impressions of human-like teeth both on the upper and lower jaws. Her jaw was still moist being from the bitten part of the dorsal aspects of the left hand, mostly from the front of an incisory teeth. I could not explain it. How did these bite marks happen? Her hands were being held over her head. The place where the bite impressions occurred or the dorsal left hand is the very place my assistant Alfonso was holding. I knew she couldn't bite herself. There wasn't, she didn't have a single tooth with that kind of mark, they'd all been extracted. And I'm aware I did not bite her myself. Not finding any explanation explainable insofar as any human experience in my medical training is concerned, I kept my mouth shut, but not my mind. She kept screaming, became bluish in the face, choked, There was this reddish whelps on her neck. I asked, who was causing her to suffer from these bites? She answered, a hairy human-like fellow, very tall with two sharp eyes, two sharp teeth, a long beard, looked like a Hindu hairy extremities on his chest, wearing a black garment with little whitish piece on the black resembling a hood. His feet were three times the size of normal feet, The other fellow was very small, one or about two, three feet tall, allegedly also black, hairy, and ugly. The baffling Filipino girl changed Dr. Lara's philosophy on life. He turned to me and said, Reverend, I'm humble enough to admit that I'm a frightened man. I realized that my first objective was to convince Dr. Lara that I knew what I was doing and I knew how to help this girl, so I began slowly. There are only three powers in the universe, I told him, There's a positive power, the power of the Creator, the benevolent God, the human power, which is on earth, and the negative power, the sinister power that comes from the devil. These powers are real, and they're evident around us. Now, do you think Clarita is acting under God's power? No, he said. Then do you feel that this is an experience with humans that she's acting as a human? No, he said. Then there's only one power left, I told him, and that's demon power. Dr. Lehrer exclaimed, explained that that broad experience as a medical, he had not prepared him to encounter such things. I continued, Dr. Lair, if there's a negative force in the universe over which the positive force has no control, then why doesn't our universe fall apart? If there's an evil which is not the right, then how can this not be corrected by the most powerful? If the girl has a demon power in her, Jesus Christ can deliver her from that power. I turned to the gospel and I read, as these signs shall follow them that believe. Mark 16. Dr. Lara then said to me, I believe, but who will help us? I thought spiritual assistance was out of the question. The Roman Catholic chaplain, he refused. The the Philippines, he refused. Um, All refused to pray for her. I told them, I would be glad to go and pray for her if the girl would permit it. I would be welcome I would welcome the chance, but please give her no medication and let no other groups be permitted to pray for her or offer assistance before I get there. If Jesus heals her, he must have all the glory. He agreed and an appointment was set up. I fasted the rest of the day in time and prayer reading the word. He then shows up at the hospital. Says as he entered the place, at first I felt my greatest battle would be with all the spectators that were in the room. Most of them had already seen the teeth bites and observed the failure of the doctors, psychiatrists, and the mediums and the psychic spiritists. But they had never heard prayer from a before the diseased and demon possessed from a believer. Steel bars covered the windows. There was a primitive Catholic altar to the side in this dreary room. A wooden bunk. After all had gathered in the chapel, Dr. Lara had Clarita brought in, observed her, and as soon as she walked by all the people, when she got to me, she turned at me and glared and says, I don't like you. <laughs> that was the first words the devil spoke through her lips to me. The demons used her lips to constantly curse me, to curse God, to curse the blood of Christ. And this was done in, her English, in English. She doesn't speak English. I had to converse with her through the interpreter because she didn't speak English. I had her sit on the wooden bench. And when I turned to Clarita and I said, I have come here to deliver you from the power of these devils in the name of Jesus, the Son of God. Suddenly she went into a fit of rage, screaming, No, no, they will kill me. Her body became rigid, became unconscious. The hand baffled that this had baffled the doctors when they had tried to analyze her case, but had dealt with the devils before and understood some of their antics. Taking hold of her head in both hands, I cried, come out of her, you evil and wicked spirit of hell. Come out in the name of Jesus. Immediately, she began to rage again. This was the first time she had instantly come back out of the trance. See, that's a tactic they use. With tears flowing down her cheeks, begged me to stop, leave. How terrible at this moment. I was shocked because I saw teeth marks and severe, some of them blood vessels cracking through the skin. Rather than feeling like quitting, I simply forgot and surrounded with unbelievers. I went into the greatest battle of my life. The devils would curse God. I would demand them to quit, tell them God is holy. Then they would curse the blood of Jesus. I rebuked them, reminded them that their master and every evil power will be under the blood of Jesus. They cursed me in the vilest language. They declared, declared that they would never leave. It seemed that the powers of darkness and the powers of the righteous were in a deadly conflict. It was just the mouthpiece of righteousness. Clarita was the mouthpiece of the devil. Undoubtedly, the noise could be heard in the prison. <clears throat> Finally, it seemed that the girl was relieved. The devils refused to talk to me or even bite her. Some of them present thought she was delivered, but I knew better. He said, "Doctor," he told Dr. Lara, I need to go home and fast, and I'll come back again tomorrow. That day, I spent the entire day Fasting, praying, I could feel God's presence hovering over me, urging me not to be afraid. However, I almost felt defeated because the evening newspapers said the thing, quote, "'The thing defies the pastor.' But God kept urging me to return. That night, Reverend Arthur Alberg and Reverend Robert McAllister visited my home, and they offered to go with me tomorrow to stand between me and the crowd that were getting too close." Upon arrival in the prison, Clarita had not been bitten since our prayer, but I knew she wasn't delivered. Through her lips, as soon as she saw me, "Go away, go away!" in English. Then I sat on the same chair in front of her, and I spoke back the three feelings, back with thrilling feeling of authority. No, I'm not going away, but you are. The girl will be delivered today. Then I requested every person present to kneel. They were there, everyone, police officers, doctors, newspaper men, professional everybody got on their knees. The battle began. The devils realized it was their last struggle. They cursed, held on to their victim, begging permission to stay. They cursed her not res- but for not responding, but it was different this day. The additional time of fasting and prayer made a difference. I felt release, and I knew that they had left. The demon looked departed. Clarita looked up, and she smiled. I looked around and I said, let's all sing, oh, the blood of Jesus, oh, the blood of Jesus that washes as white as snow. Everyone joined in. Then the girl said, well, where did they go? Out the window. The devils disappeared, but the girl screamed and then suddenly she said, they're returning. Speaking in English through her lips, they replied, she's unclean and we have a right to live in her. I answered them, Mary Magdalene was unclean, but Jesus will make her clean. Therefore, I command you now, depart. Jesus will make her clean. They had no power to resist. They left. As I ministered to Clarita, I explained to her what had happened, that she needed to pray for forgiveness and salvation. As we were preparing, she did. She prayed. Then I told her the same thing. They're going to try to come back, but you have to stand against them. Again, I demanded... The next day they came back. She then fought against them. I taught her how to pray, pleading the blood of Jesus against them. Now here's the rest of the story. As I was leaving, I told Clarita, after I'm gone, they will try to come back again. You just keep saying, in Jesus' name, they've got to go, and that they have to obey you. We asked the newspaper men to write down the morning events, and I asked them, please don't report this. They said, we have to we have to report it. So they did. The devils did return and attack Clarita, and a strange thing happened. When she called on the name of Jesus, they left. But as they left, the doctors saw, clenched in her hands, was long, black, coarse hair. Dr. Lara took that that hair, put it in an envelope, put it in a guarded place under a microscope. He found that this hair was not part of any human body. The doctor had no answers for this mystery. How is an invisible being, presumably a devil, have lost hair by a visible being pulling it out? This phenomenon we must leave unanswered at the present. May 28th, the headline of the Manila Chronicle read, Victim of the Thing Says Torture Has Disappeared. Quote, the thing is dead. This every believer can now proclaim that Clarita Vallanova claimed yesterday that the thing has finally been exercised. Clarita told the deliverance from her attackers as she pleaded the mercy before her judge who was to have tried her for vagrancy and prostitution. The girl said her prayers and an American minister, Dr. Lester Summerall, who purposely visited her to purge the devil, did it. And on Friday, May 22nd, the minister prayed for her in the city jail and the thing has never come back. Judge Alameda Lopez placed Claravita, Clarita, in the institution for wayward girls for observation. I went to visit her. Doctor Lassomarol said twice and found her overjoyed at our coming. She rushed out. She said that she had feared she would never see us again. She hurried to bring us chairs and sat down and talked to us at length. She did not seem to be the same girl who I had seen in the prison. No longer tormented by devils. No more screaming. No more torment. This was a perfectly normal Filipino girl who recovered from the nightmare of demon possession. Let the enemies of the cross say what they will. Christ has conquered and she who was bound is no longer bound, she is free. The following facts are indisputable and unassailable. Clarita was bitten and choked by unseen adversaries. Her case could not be solved by medical or psychological science. She was delivered by the simple power of Christ and Him alone. The glory and the praise for this miracle unreservedly goes to God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you Pastor Luther, his name is. Summerall? Pastor yeah. Summerall? Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to, by the time we get done, after you hear the testimony uh, from John Ramirez of uh, what the Satanists. Here's an ex-Satanist. This guy was high level in the satanic power group. When you listen to his testimony of how they intentionally and strategically go after people of the faith, um, you'll have a better appreciation for what we're up against. What is the purpose of me trying to tell you? One, I, this I hope we're gonna pray no one's afraid, okay? Demons are real, and you can read them in the book. But if you've never come in contact with someone who wants to harm you as a result of that, um, you just you could be like I was. I'll just stay away from them, and they'll stay away from me. That doesn't work, okay? Um, remember, their job is to, to, to destroy you and your family. That's their job description. And so, I would just as soon um, take the war to them. Let me end with a scripture in Revelation chapter 12. Um, And then we'll pray, and everybody's going to go home peaceful tonight without any bad dreams. In Revelation chapter 12, we know there's a war. Remember I told you um, this is really about a love story about love and war. And the good news is we win, right? The Lord has already won this battle. He's coming back. He's coming back for a bride. And so in Revelation 12, if you read that, John's gospel, (coughs) John's revelation, (coughs) it ends with He's been thrown at it, it starts with in verse 6, the dragon fights in heaven, he's, he loses the battle, he's thrown out of heaven, and he, this devil, Satan, your great enemy, ends up, he's thrown down to earth. But I now declare <clears throat> with a loud voice, it has come at last that salvation and power and the kingdom over God and the authority of his Christ. But terror has come on the earth, verse 12, the devil has come down with great anger knowing that he has little time. Verse 17, the dragon, King James says, the dragon is wrought with the woman. He makes war with the remnant of her seed, which is those that keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Christ. So we read from that scripture that there's a war on. The good news is it's been won in heaven. The bad news is it's still going on here. We're no longer um, citizens of this earth, right? Paul tells us we're citizens of another heaven, and we're seated in the heavenly realms, Ephesians 2. I'll probably cover that this Sunday a little bit. And so we're seated in that heavenly realm. So once you understand, yes, no, I'm here, but I'm also there (laughs) in a spiritual sense. My authority comes from the one who's in heaven, and I'm seated with him at the right, with him, right? He's seated at the right hand. And so... We can walk right into the throne room without fear of judgment, is the statement, right? So once we really, really, really get past this insecurity and low self-esteem, the lack of identity in who we are in Christ, then you recognize all I am is an emissary of the kingdom. And therefore, when I come up against darkness, that darkness cannot stand. Now we have to be wise, we, we, we need to know timing and strategy. Obviously there was a strategic plan. Let me pray and fast. Let me go get the medical examiner. So he thought, he prayed that through. And so, all right, everybody okay? Okay, let's stand up and let's just pray. Well, thank you for your patience. Thank you guys for those joining us by live stream. So before I pray, just please take on your reading assignments. Start reading those. But now, right now, in the name of Jesus, I just pray peace. In the name of Jesus, I bind anything that would try to bring fear, because we know what Paul told us to his son Timothy. God has not given us a spirit of fear. He's given us power, and he's given us love, and he's given us a sound mind. So, Lord, we thank you. I speak healing over their households, protection. I speak a Psalm 91 promise, David's psalm that says, if we live in the sheltered place of the Most High, we don't have to feel the fear the things that creep at night like corona. We don't have to worry about terrorism, the things that strike during the day. We don't have to worry because he springs the snare of the fowler. And so, Lord, we thank you that we may see thousands dying left, even 10,000 dying on the right but none of these evils will befall your dwelling place because we have made the most high our refuge place. We declare that he and he alone is our God. His shadow overshadows us. We're under the wing of his almighty protection and he will give us long life and salvation. So Lord, I pray protection and covering, Angelica, Simon, all those coming and going, God, I ask that you would reveal to this army that's being raised up, warriors who know who they are, not ashamed of the gospel, able to stand and declare, reflecting the glory of who they are in Christ. And we'll make sure you get the glory, God. We want you to have all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all.